Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So glad that you guys are with us, and welcome to all of you who are uh, watching us online. Those that the little bit of frosty stuff scared away. All right, but uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Daniel. Uh, I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys tonight. And I am excited uh, tonight. We're going to talk about controlling the storm in us. Now, as much as I would love to give you a message on how to have an easy life, I would love to have this like wand and this three-step program do these three things and you will never face a problem. But that's just not how it works. Like, if you go through the Bible, there is all of these amazing promises. I have never found a promise that says, and you will have no problems. In fact, I have found the opposite, but disguised. Check this out. 1 John 5, 5. Who is, um, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In Romans 8, 37. Yet all the, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And when you read that, these are some of these verses that you can be like, yeah, we're like more than conquerors and, and uh, we're, we're going to overcome and, and we're going to conquer. But do you realize to be an overcomer that you have to have opposition to overcome? That if you are a conqueror, that means that you face something that had to be conquered. Like all of us want to be winners, but in order to be a winner, you had to have something you had to beat. Most of us want to win without a contest. We're like, can I be a victor without any problem, without any opposition, without any... Well, that, that, that's not how it works. So as I begin to kind of look at this, I said, what are the important things to know? If, if I can't control everything that's out there, can I control what happens in here? Because the outside may be outside of my control, but the inside is under my control. See, uh, if you're taking notes, you can just write, this down, write that down. I can't control all of my circumstances. There are some of your circumstances that you can control. There are some times that my circumstances are unpleasant and it's my fault. If I hit my thumb with a hammer, that is my fault. There's no need to blame the devil. There's no need to blame anybody else. It's just got to work on making sure the hammer hits where it's supposed to. My own stupidity can cause problems, but even when I do things right, the Bible says there will be challenges. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is telling us a parable. And he says, the, the person who hears my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. The storms come, the wind blows, but the house stands fast. But the one who hears my words and, and doesn't do them is like the man who builds his house on the sand. The the storm comes, the rain falls, the wind blows, and the house goes flat. And when I read that, at first I'm like, yeah, his house stands strong. And then eventually it occurred to me that they both faced the same storm. And you're like, isn't Christianity like the way around the problem? 
But he said that the problem came to both of them. Does anybody ever go camping? Anybody camp? Okay, anybody camp without a camper? It doesn't count this quite the same? All right. All right. Camping in a camper is great. We have done it the last couple of years. We've rented one. It's been awesome. But it's a little bit different. Because here's my point. If you've been camping in a tent when a storm comes, you notice the storm on a different level. Like you're, you're in this tent and you're all like cuddled into the exact center because you get that tent that's supposed to be waterproof and it's waterproof unless you touch it. Like if you touch the side, instantly you're wet or instantly like you're, you're there and you're like, all right, as long as there's not too much rain, we're good. But if there seems to be water on the ground, somehow there needs to be water in the tent and then everything's wet and you're all of a sudden, you're paying attention to the storm. But when you're at home, and a storm comes, you look out the window and you're like, oh, that's kind of pretty. Did you see the lightning? Hmm. Want to watch something? Like, it doesn't phase you. Now, it's the same storm that you're going through. And this is one of the things to recognize. That in life, I can't, I, mean, I can control a few of the storms by just not being stupid. Um, but there's a lot of the storms that are completely outside of our control. I can't control it, but I can control whether I'm in a tent or whether I'm in a house. And that same storm affects you completely different. And so what I want to look at is going, how do we have, how do we control what's on the inside? Because if you look at Psalms chapter 100, verse 3, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David here, he's just like, in the midst of it, he recognizes that there's a storm happening on the inside, and he's like, stop, wait. Why are you downcast? Like, he's talking to himself. You don't even have to raise your hand. Because all of you talk to yourself. The question is just whether or not you do it out loud. Because some of us will out loud say things. The rest of us just say it inside, and you're like... What is my, and, and there's so many thoughts that, that come up as we begin to speak to ourselves. But David says it here. He's like, why are you so do, oh, downcast? And he tells himself what to do. He tells himself to bless the Lord. Um, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says that we're supposed to take every thought captive. In Acts 5, 3, Peter's speaking to Ananias and he says, why have you let Satan fill your heart. This idea that the enemy wants to fill our hearts with thoughts. He wants to lead us in a direction. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Write that verse down. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We will come back to that. But it lays out some keys to how is it that I can go through a storm on the outside, but not have a storm on the inside. And... I am sure you've seen people, and it, it can be shocking because I've been there, when we had people right here and right here. And the people right here were facing monumental storms. 
with relative peace. The people right here were, were facing like light showers, like just barely anything. And we're in complete turmoil. And you look and you're like, wait a second. I thought that their feelings should be relative to what they were going through. But they're not. And the more that we recognize that it's not what's happening outside that matters, it's what's happening inside, it changes things. But here's this thing. We can set the direction of our feelings or our feelings will set the direction of our life. But feelings uncontrolled will control you. Feelings left to run loose will create patterns and cycles. Uh, Have you ever noticed that they have a genre of music for however you're feeling? And this is this, this weird thing because if you get listening to happy, joyful music, you end up feeling happy and joyful. Um, they have playlists for when you're working out because you start listening to it and you feel like you could run through a wall. They have genres of depressed music. And when you're sad, do you know what you feel like? Depressed music. Someone like turns up something really joyful, you're like, oh, turn that off. Here, let me listen to something really depressing. Like, it's the dumbest thing that people do, but we do it. Because if we let our feelings drive, our feelings want to be affirmed, and they want to find more things like them. But if I'm feeling depressed, I lean more naturally towards sad songs. If I listen to sad songs, they make me feel more sad and depressed. And you can see how this cycle begins to continue. And the the worst that I feel, you know what I want to talk about? How bad I feel. But you know what happens when you talk about how bad you feel? You feel worse. And you can see that this is like this train that if I let this thing just run wild, all of a sudden I am drawn towards the very thing I don't like. The very thing I don't want because I let this bump make me feel, and I let that feeling drive my, my actions into making me feel more that way. And I'm like, this is, this, is, this is not good. But when we look at the Bible, it tells us that we're supposed to take our thoughts captive. It tells us that we're supposed to fix our eyes on him. It tells us what we're supposed to think about in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses like uh, 8. It goes, goes on, eight and nine. It says, you know, hey, these are what you're supposed to think about. In Philippians 2.14, it says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Even though in America, grumbling is an official pastime. I think we have made a complete contest out of it. And I have been places where the contest is in full swing. You'd be sitting there and somebody walks in and they're like, Ugh. and they're waiting for someone to ask them why they're groaning. So someone says, What's up? So tired. So bad. I didn't go to sleep until 1 a.m. And then the guy sitting over here is like, yeah, I didn't go to sleep till 3 a.m. Like, yeah, yeah, but it was because I, my stomach was really, really hurting. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, 
I've got a gallstone. It's awful. <laughs> and then like, they'll like, go back and forth. And it's like, who got, got more to complain about? And they get to like, compete. And, yeah, yeah, you've got that. But did you know that my... And they just... What, you know, what, is, what is happening? Okay, but... It is something that if someone logically stops and thinks about it, it is stupid. However, just because it's dumb, if you think about it, doesn't mean we're not all prone to it. There are certain things that if we think about it, we go, what was I doing? But, especially when that's what culture does, in fact, a lot of times people can feel like no one wants to listen to them unless they have something to complain about. And they look for something to complain about so that they can get someone to listen to them. But this creates a cycle where they begin to feel worse and worse. And see, here's, here's scientifically, here's part of the problem. The more, so they'll, they'll tell you, um, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So in our brains, we have all these different neurons. And when we um, fire up different parts of our brain, they learn patterns of behavior. They learn patterns of connection. And so when we go and we begin to complain frequently, our mind goes, what are we looking for? I said, well, the last three days in a row, they wanted to tell everyone at work the worst thing that happened. So we should take note of every bad thing that happens so that they're prepared to win the complaining contest at work tomorrow. And, and then we sit here and go, man, why is everything bad? And I, I heard someone in Costco the other day. We're, we're walking through and you hear, that's just the story of my life. And you're like, oh, don't say that. You are confirming in your own heart and soul that everything goes wrong for you. I have not heard anyone use that in a proper context of they're like, I won again. It's the story of my life. Like, <laughs> but but, but they, all the time you hear this and they just confirm and, and they begin to speak this. Well, as they do, their, their brain gets better at things. Your brain is growing. Your brain likes to get better. But if we set it on mission to find everything to complain about, it will get more efficient at complaining and finding problems. And we will feel worse if we get more efficient at finding everything that we could possibly complain about. Furthermore, scientists will tell us that our brain likes to be right. Now, I didn't really need a scientist to tell me that I like to be right. Um, I'm pretty aware that I like to be right, but even in our thinking, we want to be right. So this is what that means. When we set our mind to something, our mind will continue to look for things to confirm the things that we already believe. So if, if I set out to set my mind on why everything is always bad for me, my mind will try to prove that I'm right my mind will go and look for and go, yes, did you see that you were going to go outside and it decided to rain? It rains every time that you do laundry. Like when I was in college, I swear I could end their drought. Just do laundry, hang it on the line, and boom, here came the rain. I'm like, whatever, save me from ironing. Like that's just my, my perspective because if it rained on it while it was hanging, all the wrinkles went away. I'm like, yes, I hated ironing. So 
it was a win. But, but we have this ability to set our mind in a direction. And when we set our mind in a direction, it gets more efficient in going in that direction. And it begins to grow. But I've, I've had people, they look and they go, yeah, you're talking about this, but don't you realize that my depression and this storm and this anxiety, it's my chemical imbalance. Okay, so scientifically, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of feelings that are connected to chemicals in our body. However, like, and if you go get medication, most of these medications are either supposed to simulate those chemicals or they are supposed to cause your body to secrete those chemicals inside of your brain. But you do realize that those chemicals had a way that they were supposed to work in the first place. Most of the time when there is a deficiency, I mean, there's not really a part of a body that can't be broken. So I'm not saying that there is nobody who has a, a broken something that needs medication or help. I'm saying that most of the time we shortcut systems and try to find quick fixes instead of doing things properly. Most Americans that are tired, instead of going, you know what, I should probably actually sleep at night, they're like, I just need more caffeine. And it's this like quick patch, like, all right, instead of actually fixing the problem, I will just medicate. I will just coffee it up. And you're like, well, I drink coffee. I'm still tired. We'll just drink more cups, get more shots. And like, there's this tendency to go that route rather than taking it going, all right, well, well, why is it that these things are deficient? Why is it that, oh, because I have practiced on focusing on negative things. And when my mind is focused on negative things, it is supposed to produce a stressful chemical that, is, that, that affects my brain. And that when, scientists will tell you that when you are grateful, it changes the chemicals that are released in our brain. And the, it causes... Um, Serotonin, serotonin and dopamine and these different chemicals to be released inside of us. Like it's, sometimes God gives directions and they make sense. And other times God gives directions and I'm like, why? But give it a couple years from when the Bible wrote it down and scientists now are like, hey, did you know that when you do this, it changes how you feel and it releases these chemicals that you've been longing to have? And you're like, so that's why God told me to do it 2,000 years ago because he already knew that when I follow his directions, in fact, in the Bible, it sits here and says, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the nations. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse eight, verse 34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Um, in Psalms 107, verse one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Over and over. In fact, 19 times we're told to give thanks to the Lord. 34 times we're told to give, uh, give thanks referring to God. And 67 times we're told to praise the Lord. Over and over and over. Why? Because thanksgiving is, is a weapon. We don't realize that there's a battle happening in our mind and that Thanksgiving literally is a weapon to fight depression, anxiety, and entitlement. 
But research has shown that gratitude is an actually is a natural antidepressant. Um, when it's expressed, the, the research is showing that gratitude expressed, not just felt, but expressed is actually the most powerful form of gratitude. Furthermore, they went on and said that just recognizing that somebody has it worse than you isn't gratitude. You have to be thankful for the positive aspects of your situation. In Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It tells you, this is what we're going to think about. Set your mind on these things. Scientists were looking at this and they said, you know, your brain has limits. It has trouble focusing on negative and positive stimuli at the same time. So we can pick one. I kind of got thinking about this like a parking lot. Your brain has limited parking spaces. If you fill them, other things can't park there. If we choose to park gratitude in the parking space, depression and anxiety pull up and there's nowhere to park. And, and it's this really cool thing when, when Philippians 4.8 tells us to meditate on things that are praiseworthy to things that are, are it goes through this whole list. But I have people in the look and they're like, yeah, but you just don't understand my situation. You're like, yeah, you're probably grateful because your life's great. But if you went through what I went through, you'd be singing a different tune. So I want, I want to show you something. Paul, Acts 26.2. I'm going to read it first in the New King James. He says, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. When I first read it in the New King James, I, like, I just like, I, I had to like stop. I'm like, what do you mean? You think yourself happy? How do you think yourself happy? Does that mean that everything that's happening in your life is, is roses and sunshine? Well, when did he write this? When he's been in jail for like two years for something he didn't even do? They accused him falsely of bringing in a, a Gentile into the temple. We're trying to stone him. He gets arrested for it. And when they set up a plan to kill him, they rush him out and leave him in prison for two years. He's making his case. And, and then the English Standard Version or the NIV, we'll go to NIV here, it says, <clears throat> translates, this, <clears throat> sorry, translates it this way. I consider myself fortunate. Michael okay. You are in the middle of prison, but you consider yourself fortunate. A lot of times people will look at this and go, well, it's just you're an optimist and I'm a pessimist. I just don't see the, the world that way. Most of us think that what we see is based on what's out there what we see is based on what's in here. We don't see with our eyes. We see through them. If I was to line you guys all up today to look out a window and you see the snow coming down, do you realize all of you see snow falling, but not all of you see the same thing? There's a bunch of people who see that snow falling and are like, 
Oh, it's so pretty. There's some kids over there going, snow day, snow day, snow day. Someone else is going, I'm going to have to shovel. Someone else is in here going, it's almost Christmas. Someone else is going to go, I'm going to finally get to use my snowmobile. Somebody else is going to go, I'm trapped inside for months. Someone else is like, it's a beautiful winter wonderland. Frozen wasteland. Snowboarding snowmen. And the list goes on. We're all looking at the same picture, but we're interpreting it so differently. And so often we look and we go, well, everybody would interpret it the same way that I am if they saw what I could see. But everyone else is looking out the same window, seeing the same sight, but they see something completely different. But that means I don't have to see it the way that I have been. That means I can have a choice. And still when I say that, I know so many people go, yeah, yeah, that's snow, but you don't understand. There's nobody that could go through my situation and not be depressed. This week, Tuesday, uh, sitting with my dad before a meeting, when my dad got a phone call, then my sister's house burned down. Can you put up that uh, first picture? So this is like 1.30 in the morning on Tuesday. Next one. Um, their house went up in flames. And this was, this was crazy. So their house gets completely torched. Next one. Next. Is, is gone. So my, my sister said she, she woke up. She's not sure why she woke up in the middle of the night. She said it didn't, didn't smell like smoke, but she looked over and her wall like lit up like a flame. But there was no window there. And there was no windows in her room on the side of the house where the fire was. But she, heard, she saw the, the light, heard some of the, the crackling, jumped out of bed, ran... Um, in, and when she ran like out of her room and over, she could see out uh, a glass door from the other room. She could see the flames all up the back side of the house. Said she, the house didn't smell like smoke yet. She just runs upstairs screaming for the kids, grabs the kids, runs downstairs. Here's, here's the windows um, and the glass all cracking and shattering as, as they're coming down. She runs outside with the kids, turns, and goes, yeah, I have the kids. They're all out here. I'm going to go back in, open the door so that none of the, uh, the animals can get out. And I'm going to run and try to grab my purse. Runs back to the house, opens the door, and flames have filled the entire house, and there is no going back in. Everything is gone. They, they have what they were wearing in bed. That was it. And the, the fireman actually commented because he said, everybody in this situation, it's like they, they're, they're shaking, they're crying, they're depressed. And he goes, you were smiling. Because in this situation, you have a choice. Are you looking going, there went all of my stuff. There went the things I just paid for. There went 
Everything I have just went up in smoke. Or you look and go, man, that was a miracle that we made it out. You couldn't make it back in seconds after getting them out. From the time that she woke up to the time that she said she had them out there was maybe 30 seconds. Like she's like, it was less than a minute. It was, it was, and why she woke up, she's like, I have no idea. Why would there be a flame or appearance of a flame on that wall? That wall never burned. That wall was brick and there was no window. She just looked and she said, man, God showed up. And God woke me up and God saved my kids and we're alive. And I'm so grateful. And she just began, so Thanksgiving was amazing as you sit here and you go, you know what? It's just so good to see you. Because we have a choice. Whether it's a house that's burning, whether it's a job that was lost, whether it was that there was a conflict in the family, but you have one. Like, we can go through this and we have a choice. Will I give thanks? Or will I find a reason to complain? But I have a choice. Where will I fix my eyes? Uh, Ballerinas have a trick. How do you spin and spin and spin and spin and not get dizzy and puke? And so I looked it up. And they, they have this trick and they call it spotting. I'm not going to try to be a ballerina because that just wouldn't work. But they will find something that doesn't change, that doesn't move and lock their eyes on it. And they will spin and then they will snap and focus on that thing that doesn't move. And when they're focused on the thing that doesn't move, though they keep spinning, they can avoid becoming dizzy. Bible says that we're supposed to fix our eyes on him who doesn't move. It says that we're supposed to cast our anxiety on him because he cares for you. It says that if we will, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. When, when we look to him, it changes things. And one of the most beautiful examples of this is in Matthew chapter 14. <clears throat> Peter is with the rest of the disciples. They're going across the, the, the Sea of Galilee and a storm shows up and it is awful. It is a horrible storm Jesus had sent them across and then he went up on the mountain and prayed. After he got done praying, he goes and starts walking across the water. Now, that's not normal. But when, this, when the, <clears throat> the disciples who are fishermen, or most, many of them are fishermen, are going across and they see what looks like a person walking on the water and people don't walk on water, so their response is, it's got to be a ghost. We're going to die. And they're thinking that they're dead and Peter and Jesus, seeing them freaking out, was like, hey guys, it's me. And, and Peter's like, well, if it's really you, call me to walk out to you. Which is, in my mind, is ridiculous. Because if it's not Jesus and it says, walk out to me, you're in so much trouble. 
If Jesus doesn't want you to walk out to him, but it's Jesus, what is he supposed to say? It's not me, because you gave me, like, anyways, but, but he's got so much faith in this. He's like, all right, Jesus, if it's you, call me out. And Jesus is like, well, it's me. Come on out. So Peter gets out, and Peter begins to walk on the water. Now, I think many of us have tried this, and you don't begin to walk on the water. You sink. If you are going under 30 miles an hour, you sink. And, but Peter's walking on the water, but then it says, it says, but when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. When it was no longer look at Jesus, but it was look at my circumstances, what was happening in his heart changed and the storm that was on the outside became the storm that was on the inside and he began to sink. But when his eyes were on Jesus, though storm was around him, storm was not in him. And I begin to look and go, oh. But it is so fast that we take things for granted. I think most of us have heard the expression, you don't know what you have until it's gone. That translates as you take almost everything you have for granted until it's missing. We live in a society that makes its money by trying to make you unhappy. It's called marketing. If you are happy with what you have and where you're at, they don't make money. So they work hard to try to make you discontent with what you have so that you'll purchase what they're selling. But we have gotten so used to what we have that we get something new and we get something shiny and we're like, yay, it's new and it's shiny. And then a few weeks later, it's not new or shiny anymore. The kids have spilled fries in it. There is, it happens so fast and it can be with, and some people look and they're like, well, I don't have anything new and shiny. You have limbs. Break one once. And all of a sudden, you didn't know what you had until it's gone. Remember breaking a collarbone and being like, I never even realized I had a collarbone until I broke it. And then I'm like, what is this thing for? And you're like, well, apparently a lot. This bone that I didn't know I used anchors my shoulder. So everything I was using my arm for is all about my collarbone. And my arm is useless when my collarbone was moving. I'm like, this is dumb. But I'm so grateful that I didn't break both of them. Because I can still go to the bathroom on my own. <laughs> yes. But there's so many of these things that we forget. Do you know that even when God shows up in an incredible way, you can take it for granted? When Jesus healed 10 lepers, sent them, sent them off. They, they didn't see that they were healed. He sent them off, said, hey. They're like, we want to heal. He's like, hey, go show the, the priest that you're clean. Like, That's weird. I still look bad. But on their way, all of them were healed. And one of them goes, oh, I'm healed. Let me go give thanks. That means that 90% went, oh, that's cool. Let's go. Do you realize that the Israelites 
asked God for a miracle and they got a miracle and he fed them with manna from heaven. But while they were eating manna from heaven on a daily basis, they begin to take it for granted and begin to complain about other things. And I look at them and I'm like, that's ridiculous. And then I look at my life and I'm like, am I complaining about things? Because how many miracles would they kill for that I have? Hmm. Even when it's supernatural and it's amazing, it's easy for me to take for granted. And see, this is what Thanksgiving does. Thanksgiving stops taking things for granted. Thanksgiving begins to recognize what I have, what's already been given. When I can remember what I have and where it came from, it changes things and it brings peace inside. See, Philippians chapter four, verse six told me that if I would bring my request with thanksgiving, not if I would bring my request with my long list of complaints and my my accusations, but he goes, when, if I bring my request with thanksgiving, the peace of God would fill my heart and guard it. He goes, when I remember that, oh, wait, you know what? I'm coming to God, but God has been faithful before and God will be faithful again. Yeah, I need to see God move in this situation. Yeah, that report that I heard from the doctor wasn't good, but God's seen me through before. God's healed me before. God will heal me again. The God who made the promises is still true. My God who fed me then will feed me again. Sure, I don't know where the money's gonna come from, but God's not out. He hasn't run out. He's been faithful. So God, I thank you that you fed me. God, I thank you that your promises are true. God, I thank you that you've made me promises. God, I thank you that what you've done, you'll do. And God, I thank you that you'll see me through. And God, this is where we need it. God, and I thank you that your word says that by your stripes, I am healed. So I stand on your word. God, I praise you because you've already paid the price. And when I do this, all of a sudden, this anxiety and this depression lose their hold on me and the storm can't get in me because God's already parked there because Thanksgiving for what he's already done has begun to fill the spot inside of me and it begins to overflow from within me. And I begin to have peace. I can begin to have joy no matter what it is that happens around me. It's a, it's so cool. It's a gift that God's given you. But if you don't know him, you are missing out. I want to give you an opportunity to know him. I have a challenge for everybody. So first, If you don't know Jesus, that's where we need to start. He paid so much. He has so much for you. As I begin to talk about his faithfulness, I want to invite you into it. And then I have a challenge for those who've encountered him, who've encountered his faithfulness before. We'll get to that in a second. Jesus gives an invitation. He says, hey, there's a price that you couldn't pay, but I was willing to pay it for you. He says, I died and rose again for you. And it says that those who believe in him, confess with their mouth, believe in their heart, that they will be saved, that those who call on his name. So I want to do that. If everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes, I want to invite you um, to pray with me. And if this is something new for you, say, hey, I, I need to know him or I need to come back to him. I want you to pray this from your heart. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I repent of my sins. 
I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.